0: Hi, this is Jeremy, co-founder and CEO of the United Manufacturing Hub, and we're here today with Joseph Dolivo from 4IR 4IR Solutions. Hi, Joseph. Hi, Jeremy. Great to talk to you today. Yeah, it's nice nice seeing you again. I think the last time we saw each other is only a couple of weeks or maybe already one or two months back when... um, when when we were doing our small U.S. tour, and I remember we wrote each other, and then we met in a small restaurant in San Jose. Was was it a restaurant or was it a? How would you how would you call it?
1: Yeah, I'd call it like a cafe. Definitely a nice sit-down restaurant. It was good getting to to talk to you, and um, uh, we had a we had a nice conversation as well about about technology, but also about some other fun things. So and uh, yeah, what what is time these days? It all kind of blends together. I think it was just a couple of months ago.
0: Yeah, I. I remember when we met there that I was really hooked because you said something, running ignition on Kubernetes. So I think that, that that's also where I think the the idea came from. We wrote it a little bit back and forth. Should we do like small blog article, or um, or should we do like an interview like we're doing now? And I think um, uh, the end result is clear. We're obviously doing an interview, um, because I think it's what you guys are doing is first of all quite quite similar to to what what uh, what we're doing but still very very much distinct so i think just hearing from you what what you're doing and how you're approaching things especially with ignition and the automation uh, would be really would be really beneficial for the community so just to get things started um, and get the conversation going what is it that you do outside of work
1: yeah, so I I've always been a technologist at heart, so I've really enjoyed playing with technology outside of working hours as well. My latest my latest thing has been playing around with a lot of the generative AI large language models, so I've got some of those running there's a little intel knuck off to the side of me um i've got a an old gaming pc that's been repurposed uh, its gpu has been repurposed for running some of these so that's been kind of my tech hobby that i've been playing with for some time uh but my non-tech hobby has been uh raising children so we're going to talk i think a little bit about kubernetes uh kubernetes is hard you know it's harder than kubernetes uh raising children in today's society but it's uh but it's a it's a blast. It's a lot of fun, and so I'm trying to do a lot more analog things with them as well. So you know, keep them away from the screens as much as possible. I do enough of that. We do enough of that during our day jobs. So, uh, really enjoying. I, I live in the Bay Area, so we've got access to to nature and hiking, uh, and mountains and camping and all that kind of stuff. So enjoy doing a lot of outdoorsy stuff with them and then just watching them learn. And I can't wait till their, their fingers are a little bit more dexterous to be able to like play with Legos and do some of, uh, some of that building. So we're still on the mega blocks, which are just, they're just not the same.
0: All right. And, and I think you already said something, uh, the, the topic for the conversation today, Cuba needs the manufacturing, like, of course, for us, it sounds on one side familiar because we're doing it as well. But on the other side, it might sound really crazy. So, what what is it that brought you in, into this field, um, like like trying it out? What what what's your story?
1: Yeah, it, it is crazy. And what I've been telling folks, especially our customers, is if you have to ask if you need Kubernetes, you probably don't need Kubernetes. So it's it's solving a certain class of problems at scale that uh, you don't necessarily need to start off with. And, and to be frank, we didn't start out that way either. Um, what got me into this was, again, some of my technology uh, experimenting was playing around with Docker and containers. And uh, I was running them on a laptop, and there's a member from the Ignition community, uh, formerly of the Ignition community, named Kevin Collins, who released his own Dockerized version of Ignition, and he made it available on GitHub. And so I was playing around with that and I was learning about that. And it really got to it got me thinking about how IT technologies and tools could be repurposed into the OT space, the manufacturing space, which as think as you know, has historically been really left behind um, it's been 20, 30, 40 years uh, you know, in the past. A lot of the legacy hardware platforms, a lot of the software platforms have been kind of from that vintage, and it's really made it difficult for folks in that industry to be incredibly productive. And it's also been a barrier to entry for, let's say, folks coming out of school who maybe get a degree in automation or software, and they're used to these being able to use Git, for example, uh, and then they come into the working world and folks are going, "What's what's Git? So um I really thought I could help close the gap if you will and um so long story short really you know spun out this this uh startup around bringing these IT technologies to the OT space and uh you know going from kubernetes from uh containers initially to kubernetes when we all of a sudden had to do this at scale and we had to do it across multiple clouds and um, despite how complex Kubernetes is, it's actually the simplest way for trying to have a common layer between different operating environments, like AWS, like Azure, and as you're doing as well on prem.
0: Yeah, fully, fully agree on on that one. Like for us, the decision to go to Kubernetes was okay. First of all, it was like playing around. What's everyone talking about it? But then it was also about we we started with Docker, and you get you you. It's really great, and you can do a lot of things with it. But at some point, if you're trying to now to set it up on thirty devices on a lot of on a lot of different setups, it's it abstracts a lot. But still, there's all this configuration, all the volumes, and spinning up multiple Docker containers. Of okay, there is Docker Compose, but you can only come so far. And we're using Kubernetes like for the same reason that you do it, like just as an, abstraction layer so of course reality is more complex um, like uh, what, what what's running on EKS is might not be running on, on, on Azure uh, just because Kubernetes is not equal to Kubernetes but still it's a great way to just put like an abstraction layer on top and then also and this is our main reason it's about the configuration options. You have the option to have a whole stack with databases with everything around and just do like a click and start it up. Uh and combined with the factor fact one that's it's kind of agnostic, it's 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 really uh it, it's really great. Um but maybe go going some 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 steps back. Um what is it that what did you do before uh founding four IR solutions?
1: Yeah, so you know when I when I came out of university, I had a degree in electrical engineering and a passion for software engineering, and uh, I found myself uh, working for a, a great uh, system integrator in the manufacturing space called Grantec, and that's really where I kind of zigzagged my career, doing everything from uh, programming PLCs, you know, sitting on a bucket at three in the morning uh, doing line startups, and then uh, the sooner they could push me out of the PLC land into kind of the SCADA MES ERP integration world. That's where I spent the bulk of my career. Um, and then I was kind of known uh as the s a p guy because I did a bunch of s a p integrations and that got me into understanding the landscape of you know e t l tools um of rest based interfaces and so more into the traditional i t space and then along comes uh, comes Docker, and along comes the work that Inductive Automation was doing with Ignition. I had been working with Ignition as a SCADA platform primarily, but of course, it really is kind of an OT development environment. You can build all sorts of applications in there around IoT, around UNS. And so um, basically communicated with um, my, uh, my, my past CEO and current uh, uh, founder and um, uh, investor to say, I'd love to really do something new and and novel and kind of uh, go beyond the traditional system integrator route to actually offer this as part of a community to be able to serve other system integrators and other vendors as well. And it all started kind of around Ignition. And so now we're basically providing what we call our our kind of uh, mainline product is Factory Stack and its sister product Pharma Stack, where we want to be the stack of applications that you use to run your factory. Um, And it's centered around Ignition and similar tools that are these really nice configurable Um, customizable development environments that allow you to aggregate data and also do control um, across all your manufacturing systems. And the reason we're able to do it at scale, uh, as you know, is because we're using technologies and tools from the IT world, Kubernetes being a main one, uh, but also things like infrastructure as code, also things like Git for version control. There's sort of this, this cloud and cloud adjacent ecosystem of tools that enable us to do these things at scale um and you know five ten years ago we wouldn't have even thought about doing this you'd have to hire one person for every plant you wanted to support for example and i'm sure you've experienced the same
0: yeah uh definitely so i think the you already explained a little bit uh what my next question like what what's your company doing now um maybe to go also a little bit into the topic i still remember you said something like ignition as a service or you said like applications that you can host maybe you can go a little bit more into the the details there what how this typically looks like
1: yeah totally so you know ignition is like, like i said it's kind of a platform and there's other platforms that are in this space where they're allowing you to build ot um services and by themselves um they're, they're valuable, but where the real value comes in is as part of an ecosystem of other tools. So for example, uh, for any non-trivial ignition application, you're going to want a database. So now I've got to orchestrate, we'll come back to that word later, going to orchestrate ignition with the database, with the version control system. That's a unit of packaged up software um, that traditionally OT folks haven't really had the um, the skill set or the time or the energy to be able to maintain themselves, so that's really what we're doing is that we're providing the management of these systems at scale, and we started out running it in a cloud tenant that we maintained and of course, there's always being o t folks you know you can never um not be able to control your plant if you lose cloud connectivity, so there was always this requirement to have something at the edge, something on site. That would be doing your that would be your local SCADA node or your local HMI and your kind of store and forward data buffer. That always needed to be the case. But we just wanted to start out. Our MVP was just we're going to host something in the cloud to give you reporting, visualization, alarm notifications, all of that in one place. We would take care of everything around the environment, and you would just build your application, your ignition application for your plants, and then we would help you run it. Then of course we had organizations that said, well that's great, but we have our own agreement with a cloud provider. Uh, can you run it inside of our tenant or our subscription? So then we had to figure out a way to evolve our product to go beyond uh, an environment that we fully controlled into a customer's environment. So we started supporting deployment into you know multiple subscriptions, multiple tenants. And then some of those tenants and subscriptions were in a different cloud provider. So we actually originally started out on AWS. We had customers that said, we need you to run in an Azure. And so now we needed a multi-cloud solution. You can see where Kubernetes comes from. And then most recently, and we talked about this back in September as part of our conference, we have a lot of customers who said, well, yeah, but what about that edge piece? So can we use the same tools and technologies that you're doing uh, in the cloud? Can we do it in sort of a hybrid cloud environment or an on-site or an edge environment? And So that's been our our most recent area of R&D, and our newest product launch is basically doing that um, on-premise as well. So that's a whole new set of challenges, but it's really interesting and I think it really moves us into a space kind of like where where you guys are doing, where you're seeing the value of running Kubernetes at the edge and on site.
0: And what would be things that you um, make, uh, or or like, what would you say, where's your your sweet spot in the future? Also thinking about the United Manufacturing Hub, um, what do you say is like the things that are, that you really want to 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 focus on,
1: yeah. And well, I wanted to say what I what I love about what you guys are doing is a couple things that I want to ask you about. Um, but especially the the focus on open source um, and the focus on you know making technology and tools available to folks who otherwise may not know how to do it or may not have familiarity with it. So, um, and being able to run that anywhere. So we're trying to be a solution to running your manufacturing software anywhere, regardless of where it is in the cloud, on premise. So really trying to. Um, decouple the environment-specific pieces of that, which are the challenging pieces to get right, but to kind of figure those out once. And then the application layer is going to be sort of as agnostic as possible. So where we run the, um, let's say the integration for identity management, where we run the the database um, uh, provisioning and automated backups, that's going to be able to run anywhere. Um, and then we're just kind of focusing on the environment-specific differences. So that's the piece that we're really going to be focusing on because that's what our customers are really asking about. And Kubernetes helps to to make that all happen. And I know that's something that that you've been uh, you've been again kind of focused on as well.
0: Yeah. So I I looked at your website, and you also have you have like factory stack, and then there's also pharma stack, if I got the wording right. Um, and you wrote that you're using it all in a qualified or validated environment, FDA approval, or how we call it, 21 CFR Part 11. How does it work? Because I think there are a lot of companies in the unified namespace field and pharmaceuticals that they want to use it, and they also see like a lot of benefits, but so it's like a little bit hesitant wow, about validation, because whew, as you know, uh, uh, the software costs are much more more smaller than the validation costs of everything so how do you approach it
1: yeah it's it's very true and it's been a very i'll say a tough nut to crack if you will in terms of the the industry it's been um, very siloed in a lot of ways and so a lot of the vendor companies that you see for example they focus their entire business on pharmaceuticals and life sciences because it is so highly regulated and a big part of the cost of doing those projects is the software licensing like you mentioned but it's also the documentation So companies in this space have uh, full-time quality teams. They have um, uh, quality folks that they will have on contract as well to help them with audits and all this kind of stuff. And so the opportunity that we saw was, again, you look at how slow moving that industry has historically been because it's been tied down by uh, some regulations, by some limitations in tooling. And so the first product we envisioned was actually PharmaStack. In developing that, when we really realized everything that was involved in doing that, we brought on a quality uh, partner um, called Brevitas to help us with preparing some of the documentation to do that. We realized that the stuff that we're doing, um, the version control, the change control processes, um, how we're sort of decoupling the application configuration from the environments, all that stuff is not just useful to life sciences companies, it's useful to everybody. So we said, well, we can release earlier to market with this factory stack product, um, even though our original uh, focus and intents and the reason we exist was really kind of around the life sciences industry and pharmaceuticals with PharmaStack. So that's kind of how we sort of expanded out. But to your point, there are a lot of challenges with doing that well. And for, for folks that maybe don't know the industry as well, the, the one thing that life sciences really tries to enforce, which I actually think is a good thing, is that You're doing what you're saying that you're doing, and you're able to provide evidence for that. And that comes back in the form of regulations um, around data integrity. That's another keyword that we hear a lot about. So how can you verify to me, what evidence can you present to show that the data that you collected at the sensor that has all these regulatory requirements, like having to stay within certain tolerances, has to be sampled uh, at very specific uh, frequencies. How can you verify to me that that data has not been tampered with? and I may have to go back in 7 years. So in 7 years when an auditor from the FDA comes knocking on your door and says show me that you were collecting these temperature and humidity readings from 4 years ago, I need to be able to demonstrate that I not only have that data but that it hasn't been tampered with. And that's an incredible uh challenging problem I would say for folks who maybe haven't done uh, work in that space before, but it's also very important and I understand where the where the need comes from. So hopefully that provides a little bit of a little bit of background and perspective on on uh, what we have to what we have to achieve.
0: Maybe one, one side note for people who, who don't know the pharmaceutical space. Even though Joseph is sitting in the US, uh, the FDA regulations actually apply to almost basically every country has they have their own regulations, but basically everyone is, especially in pharmaceutical, is following the US regulations there. So even though we're talking about a very US-specific thing, it's basically the same in, in every every other country. Um just as a as a side note there. Um And now to the, I think one of the most exciting parts, how did you get like Ignition to run on Kubernetes? It seems to be, I don't know, like seems to be like different, different worlds. Like on the one side you have Kubernetes, the Silicon Valley, uh, Silicon Valley Bay Area world. And then on the other, you have like Ignition, which is like the, the manufacturing world. How, how did you get it to work?
1: Yeah, well, the the Kevin Collins community member that I had mentioned to you, so Inductive had the foresight to actually hire him on full time. So they said, rather than us come up with our own strategy for containerized ignition, we're going to leverage the the strongest person in the community to do that. And so uh, since then, uh, he's somebody that I've been working with very closely where we're providing a lot of feedback to Inductive Automation as to how to make their product a better fit for running inside of this environment. Uh, And then the Kubernetes ecosystem itself has been evolving to better support these kind of use cases. Because if you think about Kubernetes, and you know this, Jeremy, it's really strong in sort of the stateless uh, workload environment. So if I don't have to carry about state, it's really, really good at letting me put a load balancer in front of a bunch of services, and I can very easily scale out to a whole bunch of things. Software recognition is not like that. There's states. There's the current value of tags, for example. You're holding all this kind of stuff in memory, So, um, But Kubernetes as an ecosystem has evolved to have much better support for uh, stateful workloads, namely stateful sets and things like that. So um, so we've basically taken this sort of packaged up containerized version of Ignition, and then we've injected a lot of Kubernetes-specific things into there to enable it to run really, really well. So for example, when you first provision an Ignition container, we do a bunch of stuff uh, to initialize the deployment of that. Where we're taking their configuration, we're injecting things like secrets that have been mounted to the uh, to the pod inside of this um, inside of this workload to get it ready to go. Um, we're using volumes, of course; those volumes can be mounted to sidecar containers where we can do things like take backups to do version control with Git. So we are able to kind of have um, separation of concerns, uh, like you would want as a, as a best practice. And then we use uh, orchestration um, to you know, run kubectl commands to do things like uh, taking backups um, or to do migrations, uh, to do upgrades. So we have all of this tooling that we've really built around the Kubernetes ecosystem and what that's enabled us to do. Um, but, uh, and then Ignition has kind of evolved to be uh, better supportive of this environment. We love to do it with other software as well. It, it's Some of it is getting there, but it's not quite as mature. Um, there have been some recent releases from uh, I know you guys use uh, HiveMQ as well. So HiveMQ is actually, I'll say, ahead of the game in terms of having an operator. So a much more Kubernetes native way of of supporting that um, flow has an official container as well. So so we are seeing uh, other kind of the more commercial uh, enterprises getting there uh, in terms of their support. But there's still a long way to go, I would say.
0: Yeah, I would definitely say it's a long way to go because in my experience, yeah, putting it in Docker container is... By- at least this is like my opinion of what I've seen in manufacturing. Um, a lot of companies, manufacturing software companies, they're like, the salespeople are like, okay, we need it now in Docker container, and then they somehow put it in a Docker container. But it's like, it's just like really, how how you call it in English? Um, uh, toy toy Toyed around, like it's, it's not thaw- thought through. So you have like, even though it's Docker, then you s- still have to, I don't manually move something into the volumes or something. And like the Kubernetes way of thinking is, is like, hey, just press a but- button and everything starts up from 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 scratch. Uh, let's be very explicit about where we store files and and storages. I've seen like a Docker container where you just had to mount like the entire host root system and then would like use like libraries in there. Like, so not uh, one thing that we tell our customers. Unfortunately, when selecting solutions, Docker does not equal docker like Q is it's obviously much better what 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 it's specifically is uh, these small things like all the configuration is stored in a file so that in kubernetes you can just put in a standard file in the docker container it doesn't store like random configuration things it doesn't uh, um, of course maybe you can change by api or etc but how the kubernetes way is is like you have a fixed config file. You put it in, and nothing else. Maybe some temporary files. Nothing else around it.
1: Yeah, I, I'll tell you. It makes it it makes it hard to go back to other software tools that don't support that. Once you've kind of tasted the beauty of that, right? I've got my configuration. I've got my environment, and that I can spin them up and spin them down as needed. Really hard to go back to more legacy software products after that.
0: Yeah, it's 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 hard. this was also like my journey, like. um we went through with it and once we had it and once we were used to like, okay, let's really just double click on something and it's installed. So no more thirty pages, forty-six pages document on how to install uh, an IoT platform, whatever. It's just like it, it's always there. If it crashes, it's fully automated to recover everything. Um yeah. Um maybe one thing. I had an interesting discussion a couple of days, weeks back. Um what would you say is the acceptance of docker manufacturing because sometimes I still hear people are like who docker i've 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 never heard about it. What's your experience with that no it's a it's a great
1: question, and I'll say we've got a, a couple of different classes of customers that we tend to work with. Some of them are folks who don't know what Docker is, um, and they don't necessarily care because we're providing the managed service, how we provide it, um, they don't necessarily care as much. The other side of folks is folks who have more of an IT background, or we're working with a lot of corporate C-level folks who have got a background as like, a they're like CIOs or, or CSOs or CISOs. And so when we start talking about Kubernetes, we start talking about containers, they get it because that's what they're familiar with from their enterprise systems. And so for them, it's actually kind of a motivator. They're like, oh, you're using containers? You're using Kubernetes? I get it. they're actually much quicker to sign off because they already have an appreciation for what that can do. Um, We've been maybe fortunate in that again, because we're managing on behalf of our customers, they don't necessarily care. They just care about the value that it's going to create for them and the benefits that they see. And the fact that as an example, when we have to do upgrades, because those are of course, a necessity for security reasons and everything else, the fact that we're able to have very short maintenance windows because we're using this tooling, they see and benefit from the effects of that they don't necessarily care, necessarily care how it's done as long as it's as long as it's done so so it's more of a it's more of a tool for us we could do the same thing by spinning up vms and we could download the ignition installer and we could click through the gui and do all of that but we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing at scale um if, if we took that approach
0: It it's a, exactly like how we we landed up up at it like at at the beginning, we start also like by for us it was first just installing, then also like doing like updates, and that was just the point like, hey, you can have a have a person. Uh, if you need to update like thirty devices, yeah, you can do this clicking through through it. But if you like start hiring a person for that, this person will do like random mistakes. Uh, in the best case, the software will fail immediately. In the worst case, the person clicked a button, disabled the cache or whatever, and then the system only fails like a year later. Like th- three, 30 installations, twenty three of them are working immediately, but in the long run, only fifty of them are working because someone just forgot to, forgot to do something. Um, are there any questions from your side uh, for me? I'm I, I, I'm like roasting you all the time
1: no i I definitely do and I'd love to really hear uh you you guys made a very conscious decision I remember you went through uh, a licensing change as well um by having an, an open open source open core product so I'd love to hear about your decision making in doing that uh, and also uh what kind of benefits that's brought you by by taking uh, an open license approach because I think for a lot of folks especially in manufacturing, they hear open source and they kind of they, they, they pump the brakes a little bit it makes them a little bit nervous'd love to hear about your experience with that.
0: Yeah, so the maybe two things. There's like first why we use open source and then the shift from AGPL to, to Apache. Why open source? It was just big, like, what's my backstory? I was always an IT nerd, but then started mechanical engineering. And when I was doing like my first industrial IoT projects, I just saw how many millions you can spend on manufacturing software and I don't want to do any names here and I don't want to get sued but how many millions you can spend there and how less you can actually get and because people are in this bubble it's hard to think 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 outside of the um to, to think outside and because I was like an IT nerd I just knew it there I remember there was this node red. um can't I just do exactly the same and this is like by the way, like what most of our customers, like very similar journey, like they see manufacturing, then they're like somehow contacted with uh, or confronted with IT and they're like, Ooh. but it, it's just two different worlds. And in IT, if you think about infrastructure, open source is the norm. It's it's not, um, in manufacturing open source is super rare, but if you take a look at the, because even like manufacturing IT is a support of global it everything that has to do with computers i like open source has already won there's no discussion about it of course uh, 20 years ago there was still like microsoft fighting fighting against linux this type of things uh then they bought like github for like 2 billion or something um they're they're putting linux inside of the windows operating systems like i can give more and more examples docker's docker is It's not a question to use Docker anymore. Like Kubernetes is okay. It's more like a, uh, can be philosophical uh, decision whether to use it or not. But Like Linux, um, Docker, Kubernetes, basically every large infrastructure thing is currently open source. So that's what we were using those tools anyway. Um, So that was like the first thing, hey, we want to make something big here because we saw, We're going from customer to customer it's it's already a couple of years back but from customer to customer and we we could we would be so much quicker by just using open source software and we were starting to use always the same type of software so that's when we decide hey let's do something really big here and put this collection of tools also open source all this pre pre pre-configuration between it so that you can just use it immediately and at first, it was AGPL. Um, for people who are not familiar with, with this, uh, Apache... Uh, no, no, sorry. Um, AGPL, Afero, Afero GNU. Ah, no, I cannot can't do the name, but basically what it means, it's a less, less permissive. It's a restrictive license, which means you can do whatever you want with it, but every time you do a change, you need to provide the source code with it. And... Our thinking behind it was because we're even using the AGPL, which means even just hosting the software would mean that you need to provide the source code to all of your customers. And our reasoning was, hey, um, maybe in the future you want to do like hosting as a business, like hosting, stack like something, I think like what you do, maybe in the future, um, yeah. we just wanted to start with a very restrictive license and basically just ensure that for the customers, they don't care. like. They they have all the source codes, okay, it's fine. But for like copycats, people who want to just copy it, that they could not uh, host it or do, do another business on top of it. But at one point, we were like, hey, that's really not our business model. And hey, we actually want to encourage other people to do exactly just that. Because our business model... Is uh, w- when the the enter- enterprise environment, so our business model, are licenses, and mostly there are so many small to medium-sized enterprises out there that can really, really benefit from this. But they, let's be honest, they don't have the budget for um, for 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 digital transformation. So our thinking behind it is. Let's use them. Let's put it open source. Let's give them everything for free. And we expect like there will be 100 customers in SMEs, not customers, like 100 users in SMEs, but one percent of it will give something back. It will be just feedback or the Discord channel. And if you start adding it up, um, uh, we will start to create community and we can start to build actually very, very good product because we're getting all of this feedback for free um, so that we can actually build a very, very good enterprise product, because I think this is problematic right, right there, right now. Uh, a lot of salespeople selling you everything, but then you realize you're like the first customer. Uh, and what we can do is it's already battle proven at a lot of different um, users, and that was the reason why we decided, hey, let's go from the AGPL to the Apache license. Basically, say whoever you are take it and start selling it if you're a small system integrator, go ahead if you are uh, for IR solutions um, you could theoretically just take the United Manufacturing Hub um, and integrate it in your product offering and offer it to your customers like that's that would be totally totally fine for us Um, what we're doing right now is because the next question is going to be hey how do you make money um and our our thinking behind it is there is um the um give me a second i think i i just lost uh, lost track uh, i'm the editors who is going to cut this video we can just uh, cut cut this part up, part out um yeah so we we're going to add some uh, commercial add-ons on top of it so the core open source which is also by the way really important for the customer because they don't want to have this lock in effect so they can sure it doesn't matter what happens to us the data of our structure what the place where they build their entire company in the next 10 20 30 years on um it's open source in case anything happens to us we sunny rate charge too too much money whatever they can always like move it away but then additionally we offer like um Commercial add-ons, like um, or the community add-ons, like the management console. Um, I don't know if you have, have have you have you tried that out yet, or have yeah, you seen yeah, it? I have.
1: No, it's great. I love I love what you guys are doing, and I, and I think it it adds a lot of value because it's it's something not unlike what I've seen with other tools, where sort of the let's say the text space or the command line interface or the API is kind of free, and when you want a nice visual GUI on top of it, that's something that you can productize because it's really the user experience and the ease of use that you're you're building. So I think that's a really great model of what you guys are doing.
0: Yeah, so we. We even giving this it's not open source but it's community so everyone can use it for free but there are some certain limitations like there is the part where um in the future there will be only maximum amount of users that can can use it um so what we want to do with this so that as a small to medium-sized enterprise you can use it because probably only have like one ITOT guy anyhow um but then The next thing is if you're an enterprise and you act like a large pharmaceutical company or energy or whatever, and you actually want to use it, you will always buy something and you're always going to buy for compliance. It might be the option that you can have multiple users uh, because multiple users working together with audit trails. Um, It can be um, that you get like a list of all the used versions in your software because you you. You, need, you are legally required to have that. It can be because of required um, support level agreements. So this is like our thinking behind it and also why we think, hey, it's it's not dangerous for us. We can put everything open source there. There will be all the people that make money with it. They will help us. Um, if there are like actually like some really bad people that take it and try to make a competing business model, it will be quite hard for them because we still have like control of the open source project and I don't want to go too much into detail here and bore everyone I think I'm already talking too too long about it but that was basically the idea behind it and why we're also very confident that this can exist in the future it's a it's already existing business model open source we're just using it and um, we can guarantee you the data infrastructure will be open source forever there's uh, it's not also not something that we can all, uh, take back.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I love the mission, and and you're right, you're building on a proven business model, and I, I'm really a big believer in in what you folks are doing. Um, and you know, ignition aside, it's nice to see that we've sort of. Um, converged on similar open source technologies, so between Grafana uh, and HiveMQ and Timescale, there's a lot of really great best-in-breed technologies, which also have an open source or open some level of, of of an open model that encourages the community building part that you guys are doing. I think that's great. Um, if uh, Jeremy, if we've got time, I did have I did have one more question for you if we uh, if we have time. Uh, I'd love to ask you to kind of look in your crystal ball, if you will, and if you look ahead to where manufacturing is going, I'd love to get your predictions on where you think the industry is going to be going, let's say, within the next five years, and where you see UMH being as a part of that.
0: Yeah, so, of course, like a, a crystal, crystal ball ball, uh, going, it's 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 all it's always hard. But what are like some current trends that I currently see? Um, first, I really see this unified namespace thing. It has a name. We were we were doing it before. It, it had a name, but now it has a name. And the main reason is we're now 10, 15 years into the Industry 4.0 thing, and nothing has changed. And slow, the industry is very slow, but they are getting to the point, hey, we need to do something different. Like we cannot go to the next system integrator, pay 500 million uh, and expect uh, an expected result. So people are picking up the unified namespace because they're absurdly frustrated with what's going on there, like like, like me and probably uh, you as well. So I think this will continue to grow. There will be still like this, I, let's call it the world of OPC UA. There will still be this, um, but I see that even the large companies, they're slowly, because they're not getting anything done in the traditional way, there's just like, more and more people they start to look for something else. So I think really that this will make uh, this is re- making a move. And will it take two, three, or four years? Okay, There's, it's it's hard to measure. But this traction will get stronger because it happened in every other industry as well. Um, manufacturing is like one of the last industries to be revolutionized by IT best best practices. And it will happen th- happen there as well. So, over the time, there will become a point where the people in OT there or or like um, traditional vendors they're like realizing, oh, <laughs> they will be like oh, and then probably will be too late. We can already see like some vendors already going trying to keep up with with all the modern stuff. Um, but I think too many traditional vendors made it too comfortable in. In their sector, um, looking at uh, historians, for example, uh, just just, just milky, continue to milk the cow. So I, I think that in the next couple of years, there will be some kind of boom where people will realize, why do I need to pay millions when I get everything literally for free uh, and 10 times better features? So this is something that I think with the movement of unified namespace will happen in the next uh, next next five years and how we see each other the united manufacturing hub as the part where the data flows um because it's ridiculously hard to manage the 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 data data flow and it's even harder to make a very good user story the kind of like apple-like user story around it um like normally you have all the it people like spark flink whatever it's not possible because the people on the floor they are like electricians they come from automation and uh, they still need to be able to do it so we see ourselves as this open source piece that's the core of every factory just be just because it's um it also doesn't make sense to do to do otherwise um core of every factory and then we're going to um, like I said, I already explained explain the business model, but then there will be a lot of it, it's our vision, a lot of companies around it such such as yourself, that focus on different different layers, maybe more on the automation, maybe more on the pl- application layer, um, maybe on the AI but but in the end, in the middle. This is our version. There will always be UMH, either as a paid or open source version that just provides you the data. And with with this UMH, there's also all the tools that are behind it, like Node Red, uh, Kafka, etc. Yeah.
1: No, I love it. It sounds great. You're, you're building an ecosystem, and I think it's really exciting. And we'll see. Yeah, we'll see where the industry goes in the next couple of years. That's great.
0: So maybe to 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 wrap things up, um, what is it that you can offer to the Typical UMH user, it's, a, it's like always the final question in my interviews, um, so imagine now you're hearing this and you really love these ideas, wow, using Ignition, Kubernetes, hey, I'm small to medium-sized and enterprise, hey, I'm farmer, so this sounds really interesting. What's the way so that they can get started or should they get in contact to you? How, what is it that you offer to a typical UMH user?
1: Yeah, totally. So, uh, feel free to check out our website. We do post some architecture diagrams. I'll say they're they're not as nice as a lot of the the great deep dive technical blog posts that uh, that you go through, Jeremy. But we have some technical diagrams if folks want to get a sense of what we actually do and how we do it. Uh, but you can con- contact us through uh, through the website or or myself personally to kind of just have a discussion. So we're really in this space together. I think of educating and trying to to make the pie bigger as opposed to fighting over little slices of it. So love to have conversations like that. Um, we are pretty uh, focused on Ignition as a platform because it makes our lives easier. Um, so if folks are looking for more SCADA workloads where they're not only doing a lot of that data collection and reporting, but they're also doing control, distributed control, um, that's I think a complementary area to what UMH is doing. And so you can have both, right? You can have UMH where you're doing um, your your UNS building and um, maintaining of that Uh, system. And then you can plug in ignition as either a data source or a data sync from that. And if you need to do control, I think it's a really good complimentary offering and we're using similar technologies. So again, we're all, we're all built on Kubernetes. So I would love to have a discussion and see if there's uh, there's common, common interest there and to see, uh, yeah, just to, to have those voice of customer engagements, to know what are folks looking to do? What are they interested in? That's how we've evolved our product to where it is today. So love having those conversations.
0: I know I said I want to wrap things up, but I just had one, I hope, final question. Um, You said control. What, how do you envision the topic of controlling the factory in the future? Because there is, to give you some perspective, there is like, there are like PLCs. There is like, are like real-time networks. There's like real-time Linux kernel. Um, Some companies, I talked, for example, with a user from, from SDA, um, they also want to move the PLC workloads onto a server. W- what, what's what's your take on, on 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 the future of controlling the factory?
1: Yeah, we we tried we tried as sort of a, a marketing blurb for a little bit. We tried control from the cloud, um, and we said that because we knew it was going to be controversial. And the the big asterisk on the end of that is again, I, I can't I can't not stop a motor or not close a valve or, or not run my pump if I lose internet connectivity. So, so that's, that's, that's always been a, a bit of a, a tongue in cheek uh, comments. Um, there may be a time in the future where uh, we've got seven G modems at every piece of equipment and there's perfect connectivity. There's no, uh, there's no interference from, from high horsepower motors and stuff like that, where maybe you'll have everything directly connected up to the internet. If that time comes at all, I think it's going to be a very, very long time away. And so I think there's always going to be a need for, local hardware. Um, but I do see a point as we're looking at, uh, I think Azure just actually uh, open-sourced their RTOS uh, platform. Um, you're seeing the real-time Linux kernels, like you mentioned. We're seeing a lot of companies, uh, Code Assist, uh Siemens that have kind of virtual PLCs where you are able to run those as well. And um, it's always been the case, you look at you know the ITOT convergence that's been happening and you look at Ethernet. Um so all of a sudden you had a lot of the legacy control based um uh protocols like controlnet and device net are now you know you have ethernet i p and you have o p c u a and you have m q t. t of course that are all kind of built on ethernet technologies and ethernet has is is a not deterministic um protocol um however, if you work within certain constraints uh you can have pretty close to guarantees on what your latency is going to be, so it enables you to do things like uh, like, I remember when SIP safety and SIP motion were coming out a, a little bit ago. So, you can do more real time things on traditional IT networks. So, I do foresee a future, uh, maybe not too far off, where we're going to actually be able to virtualize a lot of the control, we'll be able to run it on hardware. Um, that is this might be the same hardware where you're running your SCADA systems, your HMI systems, and your other your other manufacturing systems. So I do see that coming in terms of having nothing on site at all, where the machines are connecting directly up to the cloud. That seems a little bit far fetched to me.
0: All right. Yeah. Thank Thank you for your take on this, and thank you for taking the time uh, to talk with me. And yeah, to our viewers and listeners. As Joseph said, uh, if you you can contact him, you can find more information on uh, by just typing Googling for IR solutions or like uh, looking to link. Uh, if you're watching this in a LinkedIn post, you can just click on LinkedIn, and then you're like automatically redirected. All right, see you. See you next time.